so this morning I want to focus in on the next quality in this sequence that we haven't talked about, which is actually in verse 7. We're getting close to the end of this. You can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel if you've been with me going through this whole thing. Um, but where it says, love bears all things, that's what I want to focus on this morning. We've talked about all these other qualities, some of them paired together. Love is patient was the very first one we talked about. We talked about what that meant, what that means for me in my life, what that doesn't mean. And we did the kind of the same thing with each quality. But this morning, um, beginning in verse 7, the qualities are sort of different. It's kind of a very inclusive, these statements. Um, before, when you saw love is patient, that ruled out kind of its opposite, right? Uh, love is not impatient. That would be kind of the implication of this statement, right? If love is something, that means that it's not. It's opposite. When you look at this verse, verse 7, it says, Love bears all things. You could kind of make a similar statement. You could say, well, okay, that must mean love doesn't fail to bear up under anything, right? And you could kind of make that opposite statement. But when you kind of dissect all things... It's very inclusive, isn't it? It's like kind of hard to figure out what exactly is meant by that except to say, well, all things, right? It's a very general statement. And so to make this proclamation about love as God defines it is kind of a big statement. Like There was no digging or researching that I could do about this statement that narrowed that phrase down. Um, I keep expecting an, uh, an exception or some caveat to love bearing all things, and I couldn't really find it. And so hopefully we'll flesh that out more as we go through this lesson. But I want us to kind of think about what it means to really, for love to really be something that bears up or with all things. And so the first thing that I did um, was I thought about kind of this book as a whole. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may be familiar with the book of Corinthians. Uh, Corinthians were people who were, who were Christians. He's writing to a group of Christians, Paul is. But they were really struggling to put into practice some of the Christian teachings. Um, and so as a result of their struggles uh, and shortcomings, God moves Paul to write a letter to them to help them figure out exactly how they need to be living their lives. And of course, he doesn't touch on every little thing, but he gives them um, some good practical things. And so by the time you get to the 13th chapter of this letter, you've kind of gotten a portrait of this church that seems to imply that they're lacking a, a love. They're lacking in love. And so when you get to chapter 13, at the very end of chapter 12, actually, the very last phrase of that chapter He's talking about all these roles and gifts, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in this lesson. But he says, of all those things, I want to show you still a more excellent way. And that's where he begins chapter 13, love. And so love is not something to be overlooked. Um, it's not something that I think sometimes I personally feel like maybe we oversell, like our culture oversells love. And I think there's a lot of good reasons for that because they're selling something other than real love. I think maybe that's why I feel that sometimes. But we can't really oversell this because the way Paul brings it to light and the way that God really wants to emphasize it is there is a more excellent way. And it is the foundational thing that's going to kind of gird up or bear 
right, with all of these other qualities or teachings that Paul is relaying. And so it makes sense, and we're going to talk about this more, that love should bear all things, right? Its quality is that it bears all things. I looked at kind of what this phrase means. I tried my best to look it up, I, as I usually do with these phrases. And um, it said this, like, to bear all things, to bear, means to roof over. So figuratively, it could mean to um, cover with silence. That was kind of an interesting thing that I read. It means endure patiently or to forbear or to suffer. Right? So some of those ideas are probably ideas that you've thought about before. I'd never heard to cover over with silence. That was an interesting concept there. But we kind of get a picture of what it means to bear, right? To endure, to suffer something. Um, I, I remember as a kid, um, my mom, I would often ask for like snacks and sweets pretty much all the time. Um, but generally, like it was always like, Mom was making dinner. She was in the process of making a meal, and I'd be like, can I have, and then insert the little Debbie or the cookies or whatever. And of course, she would look at me like, I'm making dinner. If you can, like, bear with me for 30 more minutes or whatever, like, you'll be okay. And so to me, as a kid, like, bearing with something was miserable. Um, and as shallow of an example as that is, that's kind of actually the idea. Is like you're going to suffer a little bit in this process. You're going to have to endure, right? Um, and so I thought that that was interesting that that was confirmed. But the way that this definition kind of unfolded itself, it almost seemed to imply kind of a silent endurance or a silent suffering. Um, to cover over with silence, I thought that was interesting. It kind of gave me this picture of like, I'm enduring or I'm suffering, but I'm not loud about it. And I don't know if that's a fair way to kind of interpret this definition, like to figuratively to cover over with silence, but I thought that was an interesting picture. That I'm enduring or suffering, just love bears up, but it's not loud, right? And I certainly think that's a biblical concept, whether this word shows us that exactly or not maybe up for debate. Um, but so what this means to me on a practical level, like when I hear this definition and I see God writing through Paul, love bears all things, this is what I'm hearing. I'm not complaining, I'm fixing problems and I'm being patient. Like that's kind of like if I was going to boil it down to three things, like if love bears all things, I'm not complaining, I'm fixing the problems or I'm bearing with and I'm patient, right? And love is patient was like, Back in verse 4, right? It's the first quality of love. So this is kind of a patience with a suffering. So if I'm going to be a real Christian, if I'm going to be faithful to God, I need to learn to live or to mimic God's love, right? I don't want to mimic the world's love. I don't want to mimic my cousin's love or my best friend's love. I want to mimic God's love. And so in this chapter, God's showing us what his love looks like. And so that's why we're even talking about this, right? Um, but I want to move into kind of the practical side of this. This lesson's basically going to be the practical part all the way through. Um, so what ways do I need to learn to bear all things? That's kind of a personal question, but I, I approached it generally enough to where I think all of us can relate to these things. 
Um, when I read verse 7, love bears all things, that's the natural question I ask myself. In what ways do I need to do that? How do I do that? And these are the things that I came up with, and they're rooted in this book. So this whole lesson is going to be in 1 Corinthians. So you're not going to have to turn to any other books. You're going to be turning to different chapters. So go back with me to chapter 1. Chapter 1. I want to read verses 10 through 19. And I want you to be listening for some things as we're reading this. And I want you to be reading this blindly, not sure, not sure where I'm going. I want you to listen to how implied in this, because you haven't gotten to chapter 13 yet, right? Where he makes this plain. Implied in this is love bears all things, right? And he's going to talk about their different backgrounds, right? Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you're baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now it's a big section, but can you see the underlying issue here, right? Like we've talked a lot about this. The church in Corinth is divided. And kind of on a foundational level, they don't really get what it means to have a teacher. Right? Like ultimately, Paul and Apollos and Cephas and any other human that they could have named were just tools trying to get those people to follow Jesus. Right? Like really, their teacher was Jesus. The instrument for that teaching might have been Paul or Cephas or whoever else. But they kind of just didn't really get that. They're like, yeah, Paul taught me or Cephas taught me, or Paulos taught me. And there was some pride associated with that. And so schisms or divisions kind of occurred in this church. But the way I told you to think about this text as we were reading it was kind of the implication, right? Did you see, like, the call to bear all things here? Like, it's never really said, and it's never really brought to the forefront with that kind of phrasing. But you and me were different. Right? I have maybe a different spiritual background and different spiritual influences from you. I kind of see that basic thing here. Like, you've had Paul, I've had Cephas. He's had Apollos. We're different in that, right? So, our path so far has been to divide. Our path so far has been to draw lines, make distinctions, and build walls, right? And for whatever reason, there's a lot to say about that. There's pride there, there's arrogance there, there's ignorance there. But that's what we've been doing. And Paul in this writing, is he saying, 
No, like it's all Christ. I'm thankful that I haven't had more involvement with you personally because I don't want people claiming me as being the, the name in which they were baptized or the name for which they're following. Well, when I read 1 Corinthians 13, that sounds like they need to learn to bear with one another. Bear all things. Like if we have different teachers, but we've come to the same place, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, and we're worshiping together, and we believe the same core truths of the gospel, then I need to bear with you in your differences and maybe who got you there or how you got there, right? Isn't that kind of an implication of this section? Love, which they were lacking, would have allowed them to bear all things here, right? Again, it's not played out that plainly when you're first reading this, but when you look at 1 Corinthians 13 and you come back to this, you're like, yeah, they're missing love. Obviously, they're not being patient. They're not necessarily being kind, but they're definitely not bearing all things. Application for you and me seems pretty plain, doesn't it, from this section? Though, let me just phrase it this way. Though they or others share the same faith as you, are you bearing with or bearing all things with other Christians who have come from other teachers? Maybe they've come from other spiritual backgrounds. Now they're here in this place with you and you share that common faith, but like, are you going to divide over where you've come from? Are you going to divide over who got you there? I know people who've done that. And they might not say it in those ways, right? But like we kind of have factions of like who taught me. Like where I went to school, how I think, who my friends are, my spiritual influences. Even like we try to turn it spiritual, but like who are my spiritual guides? Who are my friends? And I'll place more value on one set than the other and we kind of divide, don't we? Have you guys ever experienced that? We need to bear all things. And love says, that doesn't matter. Like, we're in the same place. We believe the same things now. And I'll bear with our differences, right? This church, this one here, like Corinth, has Christians who have traveled through many teachers and spiritual paths. I know a lot of you fairly well, I would say. And I know we've all come totally different ways to the place that we are now. We could let that divide us. Or if we love like we should, we bear with that. And in some ways, we might even celebrate that. Are we going to bear all things with our backgrounds and love each other the way God says to, or are we going to quarrel and divide? That's what the Corinthians were doing. And so that's kind of the application I see in this section. Look in uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6. I want to read verses 1 through 11. Now look for the same thing. Look for this implied need of, for love and this implied bearing with each other and like how that might help their issue here. All right. Chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. 
Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you see where love might have helped out in this scenario? The way it's described in 1 Corinthians 13? And especially bearing all things. Do you think there was a, a time that bearing all things could have helped their issues in chapter 6? Apparently, they're going, they have disputes and disagreements, and maybe even on kind of a transactional or business level. Like, we have a disagreement in business with one another, or an arrangement that we've made that involves some sort of resource, money animals i have no idea but apparently it was worthy enough at least in the government's eyes to actually go to court about they had that right as citizens but what paul's saying to them is he's saying seriously two christians are going to go to, to an unrighteous judge and try to settle an issue that they themselves should be more than equipped to handle like Christians have a dispute and they can't figure out how to love each other through that? Are you kidding me? That's kind of his language, right? He's like, wait a minute. As a Christian, you should know that you're in a position of judgment. Like you should be a judge of what's right and wrong. And you even have been given authority to judge the world in some aspect, right? To proclaim the oracles of God. To be able to discern right and wrong. And, and I'm not sure I totally understand this part, but he says to even judge angels and or messengers however you want to look at that but you're not able to do that amongst yourselves which shows immaturity right but doesn't that show a lack of love as well i don't love my brother enough to let this go that's paul's charge wouldn't you rather suffer wrong wouldn't you rather be defrauded and i'm left with the then sue my brother Right? Love bears all things would have solved this problem. Love would have said, I know how God loves me, and that's he forgives me for all the stupid, hurtful things I do when I'm wrong. Like, he's done that. So my brother may be in the wrong. I prob maybe I'm in the right, but I will forgive him because I'm going to bear with all things. Right? Because that's what love does. And that's what Paul, even though he doesn't use that language in this chapter, that's what he's asking them to do. Why not rather be wronged and be defrauded? So the application for you and me, though others or Christians may be in the wrong, let's assume they're in the wrong. Though they may be in the wrong and you've disagreed or you've been hurt or taken advantage of by them, are you going to bear with them? Are you going to do that even when it means it hurts you? And I would suggest to you that you're not bearing with someone unless you're hurting doing it. That's the idea. So you endure 
you suffer. Are you willing to do that? This church, this one here, us, like Corinth, has Christians who have disagreed, who do disagree, or will disagree, about things. Whether it's business stuff, whether it's personal preferences, whether it's whatever. Whatever you can disagree on, we have, we do, or we will. Right? There's, that's just people. Right? Are we going to bear all things and love each other? Or are we going to sue one another? Are we going to, as Paul says, be ashamed? I, I can't answer that question for you, but I pray and I hope that I would just bear all things. Right? And if this church is going to continue to be united and together, then that's what you have to do because we are going to disagree on stuff and we have to figure that out. But love bears all things. Chapter uh, 7. This is actually going to involve chapter 7 and chapter 8. I'm combining kind of two topics into one idea. Uh, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I just want to read the first seven verses. It's going to talk about uh, marriage and not getting married and like what that means. And then in chapter 8, he's going to talk about whether or not you should or shouldn't eat meat that has been offered to an idol, a fake god which is a big cultural question that they would have had. But I'm going to lump both of these into kind of this idea who uh, these, are, these are Christians who are using their freedoms in different ways. I have the freedom, as Paul's going to say, to get married or not. And I have the freedom, right, to eat meat sacrificed to idols or not. Either way, Paul's going to give some instruction in how to think about it and how to Use that freedom or that liberty. So think about this. Love bears all things, right? Think about that as we read this section, verse 1 through 7. Now concerning the matters which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Uh, and so he's, Paul obviously wasn't married, and so that's at the end of that. That's what he's saying. I wish everybody would just remain unmarried. Um, and look at chapter 8. Keep in mind, love bears all things. We're going to read all of chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, quote-unquote, puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many quote-unquote lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things 
and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, your sin, uh, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. In both instances, right, with marriage, Paul says marriage is a thing that you can pursue and there's reasons to pursue it, right? It's right, and here's the parameters for that. But if you're able, don't get married and live like I do, and there's parameters for that, right? Both can be godly choices. Both can be right choices. There's some liberty or some freedom to make a choice for yourself. In chapter 8, false gods are not real, thus food offered to idols is not an issue. That's the knowledge he's talking about. But, on one hand, because of people's past, there may be a hang-up with that, because maybe they came out of that to understand the real God, and so that's an issue for them. It feels like they're turning their back on the true God. Well, if that's the case, don't eat it. Both are right. Right? If you find yourself in a situation where it's going to bother somebody, play it safe. But both are right answers, depending on your decision, your understanding. Can't you see how that would divide a church if they let it? This church, you know, you got to be married. That's God's plan, and that's God's design. He gave Adam and Eve. He didn't just say Adam. Everybody needs to be married. That's the right thing. Well, what about Paul's commendation, right? On the other hand, there's no such thing as an idol. We can eat whatever we want. Well, what if some people have turned away from meals given to false gods? You know, that still happens today. I don't know if we think about that very much, but that's still a very real thing. Much of Asia still does that. Um, Asia, India. What if we draw hard and fast lines? on those kinds of things? And what if we make divisions and we quarrel about them? Obviously, the teaching in these two chapters is not to do that. But ultimately, when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, what have we failed to do? Love bears all things. If it's not a right or wrong issue, I need to bear all things. I need to endure the lack of knowledge I feel like my brother has. I need to endure how dogmatic that guy is about his view on it. I just need to bear with that stuff. And it's annoying and it's frustrating, but love bears all things. Right? Application. Though you or we may differ in how you use God-given liberties in your life, because we all have them. God has given us choices to make, and we all make them differently, sort of, right? 
Though we differ in that, are you bearing all things as other Christians do the same thing? You know, the, the beauty of having a liberty is like, I have a choice. But I don't know if we think about this all the time. If I have a choice, everybody else has a choice too. And they may not choose the same thing I choose, right? Like, I've chosen to be married. You may not choose that. And I shouldn't divide or create a quarrel because of that. That's a liberty God has given us. It's a freedom God has given. Are you provoking others to sin because of the choice you've made? Or are you bearing with others? Chapter 12. Chapter 12. Verse, uh, I, I wrote down verses 4 through 26. It's a really big section. I wrote it down because I wanted to read it. If we have time, we don't. So I'm going to pare it down to a smaller section here. I want us to look um, the last section of that, verse 14 to 26, okay? Verse 14 of chapter 12. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Let me stop there for a moment. He's using body as a word for the church, the body, right? So he's going to use that kind of language. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the exact same care for one another. If one member suffers, and all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The beginning of chapter 12 that we didn't read tells us the literal interpretation of this body language. He's saying some of you are teachers, some of you are prophets. Some of you are leaders. And uh, some of you are uh, people who can speak in tongues. You know, there's all these roles and abilities that God has given to people specifically. He makes that point that God has chosen, verse 11, the roles and the abilities being given to each person. So that's one truth that they needed to understand. The second is that all were needed, verse 21, right? Therefore, the common good of the body. If that is true, if that is true, which Paul is saying it is, the implication of that is we're all different. We're all part of the body. We're all in the church. but We each have a different role or a different ability, right? but they're all equal, they're all valued, they're all needed to be a body. Can you imagine a church that tried to like divide up the body? 
right? Like, well, in this church, we've decided that really the most important role or gift that you can have is to be a prophet. So we only want prophets in this church. Well, Paul's saying it's like the whole body being an eye. It doesn't function, right? That sounds stupid, but like I've been a part of churches that kind of act that way. I've been a part of bodies that only value one part of the body and not the others. Um, And what that looks like on a practical level is um, we have different roles and abilities from one another. And so the question is, are we willing to bear all things when we differ? Like, by my ability and my role is different than yours. Are you going to bear with me and I with you, or are you going to try to force me to fit into the model or the ability or the role that you have or that you want for me, right? Because each one, verse 11, is given by God. In verse 21, each one is needed. Am I willing to accept that and love you and you love me and learn to bear with our differences, bear with all things, or are you going to fight against that? That's the question that we're asking. So is this church, like Corinth, uh, we have Christians whose roles and abilities vary as widely as God has designed them to. You know, God has designed prophets, as it says at the beginning of chapter 12, he's divine, and he's also designed those who serve, right? Two kind of like very different things. Prophets are front and center. They kind of seem like the attention getters because they're bringing the message the revelation from God according to his word, right? And then the service people are like in the background. They're just kind of doing what needs to get done. Usually not a lot of attention brought to them. It's about as far away in the spectrum as you can get, isn't it? God designed both those roles. And so are we, gonna, are we going to bear all things as we work together on opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum? Have you thought about that? This person's doing the thing that they were given to do. This person's doing the thing they're given to do. But isn't there a lot of potential to feel that, that disparity? A lot of churches do. A lot of people do. Like a wall gets built up right here because I'm so far over here and you're so far over here. We can't work together. And God's saying the body needs to function as the body. Love bears all things. You might not understand what it's like to be a servant, but bear with me as I do that. I may wish I was a prophet, but I'm not. And I'm going to bear with you, and I'm not going to be jealous of that. I'll celebrate that that's the role you've been given. Love bears all things. Finally, the last point that I want to make. I felt it necessary, though I think probably we understand this. I just want to make sure and cover this base, that there is a way that I can misunderstand bearing all things. And it's a very common one. The world tells us that bearing all things is to overlook problems. Um, love bears all things and that means you have to just kind of ignore or overlook the fact that I may be doing something wrong or something you don't like now the something you don't like, yes if it's just my opinion I wish you were married but you're not bear with that I wish you were a prophet but you're not bear with that Right? I wish you were taught by Peter or Cephas like me but you're not, bear with that but if it's something wrong If it's a sin, I think we don't bear with that, so to speak. 
I want to look at chapter 5, actually. This will flush this out plainly and we'll be done. Chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has done such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Skip down to verse 11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I uh, to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There's a couple caveats that have to be offered here. This is not just people. This is... People in the church, right? From among you. He even makes that point. This is not about outsiders. God judges the world, right? But if you're a Christian and you profess to be a Christian, and so does your your friend in the church, your brother in the church, and then you find out he's living some sort of sinful life, whether that's sexual immorality, whether that's being a reviler or a drunkard or whatever, he needs to repent. She needs to repent. And Paul doesn't pull his punches. That person is doing evil. Well, the world says love bears all things. You just got to kind of accept that. That's who they are, right? They're not perfect, but that's who they are, and you need to just kind of be cool with that. Well, is Paul advocating something contrary to love bears all things, or is he advocating somehow something that's complementary to it? Because... If he is contrary, then this whole letter doesn't make sense. I think everything he writes to the Corinthians is complementary to what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. It's complementary to the concept of God's love is, or does, bears all things. If so, how does that play out in chapter 5? That's kind of the question we're left with. Excusing the sins of your brothers... um, is a misunderstanding of love. I'll just say that plainly. The Christians in Corinth apparently were all too willing to do that. Haven't we already said that apparently they're lacking love? So I would suggest to you that lacking love, like the Corinthians were, is what leads to overlooking this kind of stuff. If I don't really care about you that much, I'm not going to really care that you're messing up. Right? Uh, I remember in, uh, actually it was middle school, seventh grade, I think I've told this story to a few of you before. My, this happened two different times actually, so anyway, that's bad. My math teacher pulled me aside. I was, the only club I ever was in my whole time of being in school from kindergarten to 12th grade, the only extracurricular thing that I ever did was a robotics club in middle school. Seventh grade, my math teacher was the robotics teacher. And I had like a 40-something in the class. I mean, I was just like bombing out. And just purely because I didn't ever do my homework, like ever, not once. 
And he pulls me aside and he says, Josh, you got like a 40-something in this class. If your grades don't come up by the report card, I'm going to have to pull you out of robotics club. And I was like, no, you can't do that, right? That guy was really helpful in my life. He was a very uh, influential figure in me for that year that I was in school there. Um, he meant a lot to me just as a friend and like a cool guy. I appreciated a lot. And so like I had other teachers that year and other classes come up to me and tell me the same thing because I was bombing every class equally bad. Um, another story for another day. But when he did it, it meant the most to me because like he knew who I was. It mattered what I what like what he said to me mattered. The other teachers, I had a sense of, and this may or may not be fair, but every other teacher that said that to me, I sensed it was out of duty. Like, it's our job to tell you this, because I didn't have a relationship with any of them. And I'm not saying that's a fair way to interpret it, but when he told me that, I was like, okay, he actually cares that I like do well in life, right? And I think that's kind of a microcosm of what is missing here. I think love was missing in this church. And I think an example of that was how the brethren didn't reach out to this guy who was doing something bad. I don't think that they showed care for him. And I think if they were like my teacher and they had actually cared about this guy, they would have pulled him aside and had that talk with him and said like, hey, we're Christians, like, this is stuff that we're supposed to be leaving behind and you're living like this. We can't like pretend that's okay. Right? And so love bears all things doesn't mean to overlook sin, but I think love bears all things means you have that conversation. You endure, maybe even you endure the repercussions of sin. You endure having to withdraw, eating and spending time with this guy or girl because of sin. That's bearing all things. You're bearing the suffering that they're bringing. You're bearing the, the hurt that they've brought. Being unloving says, I don't want to bear with that. I don't want to bear up under that. I'm just going to let it be okay. Right? So I wanted to say that quickly because I think the world passes that off as love, is to pretend things are okay when they're not. They're not. So hopefully this lesson's been helpful for you to think about love maybe in some ways you've already thought about, flesh that out some, but maybe you haven't thought about love the way God's describing it here. And I'd encourage you to think about that some more. Um, we usually have a song now that Chuck's going to lead us in, but if you are here this morning and you feel like, man, I really need X, Y, and Z today, talk to somebody I know I'd be glad to try to help you, pray with you, whatever. Anybody else that's here would be willing to do that or at least point you in the right direction if they're not from here to talk to somebody. The song that Chuck's leading us in is really a time to think about that and make changes if you need to make changes. Thank you, guys.